0: This is The Guardian. Today, what was the leader of al-Qaeda doing in the middle of Kabul? And what his death means for the terrorist group and the Taliban?
1: Saturday,
2: at my direction, the United States successfully concluded an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan that killed the emir of al-Qaeda.
1: It's taken 21 years. Osama bin Laden was the face behind the 9-11 attacks, but al-Zawahiri was seen as the brains.
2: Now, justice has been delivered, and this terrorist leader is no more.
0: Last week, a drone strike in Kabul killed the Al Qaeda leader, Ayman al Zawahiri. Emma Graham Harrison, a Guardian senior foreign correspondent, was in the Afghan capital that day and rushed to the scene of the strike. Okay,
1: this road is closed. So, straight ahead. So, we decided to sort of drive around the neighborhood and speak to people nearby because the the drone strike did create a sound loud enough to wake up
0: people all over the city. And how close did you manage to get?
1: Yeah. So the Taliban didn't actually want anyone to get to the scene of the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri. So we got somewhat close and were met by a very agitated, very aggressive, Taliban guard. We'd already been warned by colleagues that they had been physically assaulted. One guy was punched in the face. Wow. There'd been guns pointed at journalists. And, you know, these, these are some, you know, in some cases, very trigger-happy individuals. So it was a pretty alarming situation.
0: The Taliban were right to be nervous. It was al-Qaeda's presence in Afghanistan that triggered the US-led invasion and the toppling of the Taliban more than 20 years ago. Now, less than a year since they returned to power, the leader of the world's most notorious terror group was hiding in the middle of their capital, and his killing there will have huge implications for both groups. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, what the killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri means for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. So Emma, as a former Afghanistan correspondent, someone who spent many years living in Kabul, can you tell us how surprising it was that Ayman al-Zawahiri was not just in the city, but in that particular neighbourhood of the city?
1: I tweeted about how strange it was to be in Kabul and to realise that the head of al-Qaeda had been living and then was killed in a house about 200 metres from where I used to live just behind a supermarket where I used to go to get kind of imported luxuries like breakfast cereals and chocolate. And there's just something very strange about the overlapping of my incredibly mundane daily life with the sort of existence and then the end of of probably the most wanted terrorist in the entire world, you know, a $25 million bounty on his head. And one of my friends from from a decade ago tweeted to say, that's definitely strange, but it's nothing on on how I'm feeling because I used to live in that
0: house. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: And he was saying, yeah, you know, the CIA said that that he was killed on the balcony because he liked to go out there in the mornings to read. And he said, yeah, I get it. I mean, there was a great view from the balcony. I used to love that balcony too.
0: (laughs) That is absolutely incredible. And it sounds like a pretty swanky neighbourhood.
1: Yeah, I mean, it couldn't be more central, more kind of... Fancy. So it's basically this very central neighbourhood packed with the houses of warlords, ministers, the sort of technocrats who got rich on the sort of corruption of the last government. And it's right next door to the former green zone, the sort of walled off, increasingly fortified area where all the embassies were based, where the presidential palace was and still is. In fact, now it's the Taliban's headquarters. It's sort of like if you imagine that, that he'd been found in London, the equivalent of him hiding out in, in Notting Hill or something.
0: Jason Burke, for most of us, Ayman al-Zawahiri was a voice we might have heard on the news, although increasingly less in recent years, or on some grainy video. You're now The Guardian's Africa correspondent, but you've been following al-Zawahiri for most of your career. We've heard about the, the strange scene of his death in Kabul, but can you tell me, where did he come from? And what was the road that led him to al-Qaeda?
2: Al-Zawahiri comes from a well-to-do Egyptian family. He grew up in a nice area of Cairo. The moment that seems to be very important for Al-Zawahri was when he was in his mid-teens, and a major Islamist extremist ideologue called Syed Qutb, who's generally credited with being one of the founders of the modern jihadi movement, was hanged. He was hanged in an Egyptian jail in 1966, and it set Zawahri on a voyage through increasing levels of pain, grief and violence and extremism. That is really what has marked his life right from a very early age, an involvement in violent militancy or at least extremism that very rapidly became violent and has continued to get more and more violent as the bodies stacked up around him over the decades. He went to Afghanistan in the late 80s at the time when lots of Arabs were coming to support the Afghan Mujahideen, and that's where he met bin Laden, and that's where he became a partner of bin Laden in a much bigger project of global jihad. And
0: Jason, what did Zawahiri himself contribute to this group that he formed with bin Laden, one that would become so infamous after the September 11 attacks on the US?
2: Bin Laden had contacts, he had charisma, he had money, he had energy, but he didn't have the experience that al-Zawahri brought, and he didn't have just the sheer grit. Zawahri is a very serious man, dur, irascible, utterly without charm, very focused, and He brought a steeliness that bin Laden, who had grown up in an extraordinarily privileged environment, just simply didn't have. They were never friends, they were allies. And together they made a fairly effective team. It's worth pointing out, though, that there was still lots of tensions over quite how far they should go down the track towards global attacks as their primary focus, uh, whether they should retain a a strategy that would also involve local attacks. Uh, That changed after 9-11.
0: Jason, in May 2011, bin Laden was killed by American special forces in Pakistan.
1: The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader
0: of Al Qaeda and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women and children. And Zawahiri became the leader of al-Qaeda. How did he change the direction of the group?
2: Al-Zawahiri had a really major influence on the direction of the organisation, of al-Qaeda after he took over, something that was quite unexpected actually for many commentators who sort of dismissed him as pretty uncharismatic, the right-hand man or the the, the kind of number two, which he really wasn't. And we saw this when he took power in, inside Al Qaeda in 2011, and he very quickly moved to distance the organization from Bin Laden's long-range, spectacular attacks on the West and. What al-Zarahi wanted to do, and was quite successful in doing, was to build support among communities on the ground around the Islamic world. And he was looking for marginalised communities, which he thought could be exploited, would be useful, and would add to al-Qaeda's reach.
0: Why did he want to make that shift, Jason? Why did he think that the kinds of spectacular attacks that had made al-Qaeda a household name, albeit for terrible reasons, were no longer the thing that the, the group should be doing?
2: I think by 2010, 2011, possibly even earlier, the effects of that strategy of spectacular attacks on the West were becoming very clear. And It wasn't all good for al-Qaeda by any means. It was looking more and more counterproductive. It invited massive retaliation, huge attritional losses, uh, real problems in logistic terms, and it had not achieved its aims, which were either to fundamentally weaken the US and Western economies or to instigate a massive uprising across the Middle East or the broader Islamic world. Neither of those things had happened. So the, the moment was ripe for a change in
0: strategy. And Jason, on his own terms, do you think Zawahiri's time in power will be seen as a success? Even though Al-Qaeda is much diminished in stature, it doesn't get anything close to the attention that it was getting even a decade ago. And it's been overshadowed, at least in the past few years, by groups like Islamic State.
2: There are obviously major setbacks. The Al-Qaeda have lost a lot of ground, particularly in Iraq and Syria. They had real difficulty with the Islamic State. There was originally an al-Qaeda breakaway. They've had real trouble on a number of fronts, but they're still there. Keeping below the radar was actually quite a clever tactic because the West has been distracted by all sorts of other things, particularly recently. It was distracted for a long time by ISIS. Al-Qaeda have been able to be the kind of tortoise against the ISIS hare al Qaeda's still there and are actually not in a particularly bad place. They've lost some ground, but they've made up for that in plenty of other places. They've done well in sub-Saharan Africa. East Africa is looking pretty good. They're still there in Yemen. They've got a nice secure-ish, as Zarahri's death tells us, but a, a secure, to an extent, haven in Afghanistan.
0: Tonight, General Mark Milley is warning that al-Qaeda could be months away from reconstituting in Afghanistan. It's a
2: real possibility uh, in the not-too-distant future. I think the Taliban sitting in Kabul significantly emboldens the radical jihadi movement globally. It's looking fairly good for them at the moment. So I think, given the hand that he received in terms of the assets and the challenges in 2011, al-Zawahiri didn't do too badly.
0: And so let's talk about the future of the organisation. What does al-Zawahiri's death mean for al-Qaeda? What do they do now?
2: Well, al-Zawahiri's death is, a, is both a challenge and an opportunity. It's a challenge because they've always got to find somebody to replace him, and, and that's tricky what they will have to do, whoever does come in, is first impose their authority, make sure they're respected. It's worth remembering that if you're a recruit to al-Qaeda, you're not actually swearing allegiance to the organisation. You swear allegiance to an individual. So whoever comes in has to win those loyalties throughout the organisation. Once they've done that, they have to decide what they're going to do with the Campaign that Al Qaeda has been waging for 34 years. Are they an international organization or are they a local organization? And they've struggled to reconcile those two objectives throughout their existence as a group. And that will continue to be the challenge
0: going forward. Jason. Given the way that al-Zawahiri changed al-Qaeda, made it an organisation much more focused on those local contexts, does his death make the world safer? Or or was this actually just about revenge settling the score for September 11?
2: The research on removal of top-level leaders is interesting. It's kind of mixed. Some of the analysts are absolutely categoric that... It's always a good idea. You just get rid of the guy and the organisation is going to be disorientated, disrupted, at the very least distracted. You get rid of capabilities. Yes, of course, it's unclear what's going to come afterwards, but it's always worth doing.
0: And what does the other school of thought say?
2: (laughs) Well, the, the other side is that you could get something worse. Basically, hmm. And that quite often you do get something worse because whoever comes in wants to impose themselves and they do it with a big spectacular attack. There's a kind of posthumous competition, if you like.
0: The U.S. has now killed the world's top terror target. More than 20 years after 9-11, the hunt for bin Laden's number two is now over. He has been in hiding for more than 20 years, one of the world's most wanted terrorists. But tonight, the United States finally caught up with Ayman al-Zawahiri.
2: Is there an element of this as revenge, sort of closure for 9-11? I think certainly that's the case. It's worth pointing out, too, that he was very ill, uh, quite how many of the main leadership tasks he was handling himself very unclear at the moment. So it wasn't anything like the killing of bin Laden 11 years ago, which really was a massive blow and a really major figure who was you know,
0: removed. And what do you think the spectacular way in which he was killed tells us about this phase of the US war on terror? Now, 20 years after Zawahiri helped to create it.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that we can forget quite easily is quite how extraordinary the capabilities at the disposal of a US president now are. We, we make it clear again tonight that no matter how long it takes, no matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and take you out. This is a counter-terrorist machine that has been built up over two decades and it is an extraordinary thing that they can do when, you know, you can spot a man on a balcony and then send in missiles to eliminate him and no one else from thousands of miles. away. yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary.
1: When you look at the site in Kabul, it has all the hallmarks of the use of what's called a ninja bomb. It deploys blades and it essentially slices through the target and then it doesn't explode. And it can be very um, surgical, very precise. We've seen this kind of weapon used before to take out. I think
2: that changes a lot in terms of the kind of strategies that Al-Qaeda can adopt going forward, how they have to act, how they have to operate, how they have to deal with regimes in different parts of the world to try and obtain some kind of protection. Uh, all, All sorts of things come out of that that we haven't fully computed, I don't think.
0: Emma, Jason was telling us about the implications of this attack for the future of al-Qaeda, but what about the implications for the other party here, the Taliban, who are approaching their first year in power?
1: This is obviously a huge event for al-Qaeda who don't have an obvious successor and now have to to scramble around to think about how they're going to organise themselves, but it's potentially also a massive event for the Taliban and how they relate to the world. And being found to be harbouring the world's most wanted terrorist right at the heart of the capital in an area known to be controlled by one of the main factions of the Taliban. It's totally fascinating. The Taliban thought they could run essentially a kind of, I don't know, a terrorist Airbnb putting up the head of Al-Qaeda in the centre of their capital. It's been nearly a year since they took control of Afghanistan, and they still haven't been recognised as the legitimate government here by a single country. And it's very hard to think of a single thing that, that would be less helpful to their efforts in that regard.
0: OK, and perhaps anticipating that backlash, the Taliban have, after this attack, claimed that they had no idea that the head of al-Qaeda was in their capital city. But Does that have any credibility? What do we know about the relationship between these two groups?
1: So al-Qaeda and the Taliban are bound, first of all, by an oath of allegiance that al-Qaeda swore to the Taliban Originally in the 1990s, it's been renewed every time Al-Qaeda's got a new leader or the Taliban have got a new leader. That's their sort of official connection. Then, you know, unofficially, they're bound together by ties that go back decades now, including reportedly family connections. They, they married into each other's families. But interestingly, in terms of their sort of official stance, two days before al-Zawahiri was killed in Kabul, we had Sirajuddin Haqqani, the interior minister, the, the sort of head of the group that was apparently protecting al-Zawahiri in Kabul. He said in an interview with, with an Indian outlet that al-Qaeda has no presence in Afghanistan, is no threat, and the world shouldn't feel threatened by what he called an already dead outfit. And obviously part of the reason why what, what happened is so difficult for the Taliban is that it shows up that to be, or at least part of that, to be a complete lie. I mean, you know, he said it had no presence in Afghanistan when he was literally sheltering its leader a few hundred metres from
0: where he lived himself. And Emma, this attack and the conclusion people will draw that the Taliban are still protecting Al-Qaeda. What implications will that have for the group internationally? That it appears to have gone right back to harbouring the group that actually led the US and others to invade 21 years ago.
1: This is a major counter-terrorism victory which Biden was celebrating. But it's interesting that in his long direct address to the American public, Biden did not mention the word Taliban once. He didn't attack the Taliban government. He just presented it as a victory for counterterrorism, a demonstration of America's determination to track down its enemies. And a lot of people, and I would agree, have seen that as as a sign from America, a sort of, you know, a a, a somewhat coded message that they certainly weren't going to hold back on going after Zawahiri when they found him, but nor do they want this incident to entirely destroy attempts to, to sort of continue talking to the Taliban. And so, you know, that suggests that there's a willingness, at least for now on both sides, to try and move past this event as extraordinary as it is and try and continue whatever form of dialogue is currently going on between American
0: and, and Taliban authorities. Coming up, will Afghanistan again become a base for Al-Qaeda to strike the world? Jason, despite this attack, despite the fact that al-Qaeda's leader was killed in Afghanistan, would you say that they haven't lost that country as a base just yet? That despite the Americans' incredible capacity to strike them, Afghanistan is still a place where al-Qaeda can find refuge, can find a place to grow?
2: I think they do certainly have a safe haven if they follow certain rules, And I think that's what the Taliban are trying to do. They have a relationship. They have a shared ideology in some areas with al-Qaeda, not in others. They don't want al-Qaeda to go around blowing things up in London, Paris, Washington, wherever, because that is just going to cause them huge problems. On the other hand, there are familial ties there are all sorts of other relationships, some financial, uh, military possibly, that draw them together. So that's a, it's a complex situation, but I really don't think that al-Qaeda are going to be expelled from Afghanistan soon. So I think al-Qaeda in Afghanistan will remain a potential threat for a long time to come unless there's some kind of dramatic change politically.
0: And Jason, finally, you said that al-Zawahiri had basically been at the forefront of the jihadi movement for his entire life. So where does that movement go now? What shape will it take in the future?
2: I mean, I can see something which is really interesting, that a, a real feeling, I think, that this is the end of a whole phase of modern Islamic violent extremism that came out of the mid-60s in many ways, intensified all the way through the 70s, 80s, 90s, climaxed in a sense with 9-11 and then has evolved in a whole variety of ways since. But Zawara's death means, I think, that we're really moving into, a, into something that will be new. It's very difficult to see what it will be. It's a very, very different world now from the one that he knew when he first became a follower of these very hardline ideologies.
0: Jason Burke, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Jason Burke, The Guardian's Africa correspondent. Thank you very much to him and also to Emma Graham Harrison. You can follow both their coverage of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and executed by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Elizabeth Casson and Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow.